cost drifted alarmingly in the betting was, you know, fancy in the morning continued to drift. It was late on the on the exchanges to, to lose. It was something you'd see in a, in a Dick Francis novel, Charles Bottoms. And a very spooky welcome to the Bastards Inquiry Sunday Sermon. Uh, my name's Lee Keys. Uh, on Halloween, um, with me tonight is John J- John Lang, as always, of John Joe's Blogspot. Good evening, John. Good evening, Lee. And joining me also is uh, Lauren Malva off off Twitter, affectionately uh, known as Chris. Um, yeah. Did a did a brilliant. I must say, Chris, you did a brilliant article on Bridey Frost, and anyone should go over to bastards.co.uk to view that and some already excellent articles up there from uh, from John. Um, some memoirs from John, and there's another one from John going up tomorrow, by the way, which is on the Horse Betters forum. So there's plenty on bastards.co.uk. Um, I, I did think Chris's article was very fitting and pertinent to what Ka- our beloved Catherine Fry had to say as well uh, on the show, which caused a lot of attention. So much so, we got a plug. We got a plug from good old Sir Bob Cooper on ATR on on, uh, on Saturday night, um, which we much appreciated. Didn't expect. So thank you, Sir Bob. It was much appreciated. Did any of you chaps see that um, that plug from Sir Bob on, on ATR? In, in the words of Harvey Keitel, let's not go around sucking each other's dicks just yet. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't actually managed to change anything. So. No, no. But true. yeah, I did, I did hear it, and it was fantastic to know that Bob had taken the time to actually listen to a couple of the podcasts and actually like them, which is an added bonus. Yes, just no, a... no better recommendation, I think. I think you've peaked now. I think Sir Bob is royalty, so yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's um, uh, at the race of Sky Sports royalty. So thank you for that. Um, it's a pity that John, who's who Bob Bob liked uh, John's tip in the race, could only manage second. That that kind of day for me and John, we had we had all places, but we didn't manage to um, to get one past the lollipop in some moderate tipping this weekend. Andy Richmond saved the day with half a piece. Uh, good analyst is Andy and Catherine Fry today. Poor Catherine, they're the second at eleven to one in the uh, the the, the Cork National. Um, Nineteen clear of the third. She's still on the floor. Catherine was due to be on the show tonight, but no one can pick her up off the floor after that. Um, anyway, it's an action-packed show, and we're going to start with uh, obviously yesterday. Um, which was the uh, Charlie Hall chase at Weatherby, which certainly has caused a lot of uh, stirring uh, on, on, on Twitter regards to uh, Harry Skelton, John. Um, John Nolan starts off by saying, the clocks went back last night. Did the clock in Dan Skelton's go ahead by mistake when he decided to try and pass surname at 74 miles an hour and win the Charlie Hall by seven minutes? In after it passed him, didn't he? It, it reminded me of that Michael Winner film, The Games, where Michael Crawford tries to bust the two-hour marathon. <laughs> and he, he, he would have won under normal circumstances, but Stanley Baker insisted he sprinted the first 13 miles. Uh, and he <laughs> yeah. so was, was legless entering the stadium and didn't even finish in the money. Um, yeah, it was a 
strange sort of move, wasn't it? It was like he got a bit of a rush of blood. I think he thought he got surname on the ropes and wanted to knock him out with one punch. But, you know, I mean, he, uh, I don't know. He, it's a split second, isn't it? But it, it didn't look very good from the stands. I suppose, uh, I suppose you could argue if, if he'd have stood up, but this is what a great race-winning move. I, I, I don't think you can be too critical of him. I mean, he obviously knew what horse he'd got underneath him. He had plenty in hand, and uh, he obviously thought, right, well, let's go for it. But, um, yeah, visually it didn't look great, but if it had stood up, what a great ride, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm in the other camp. Um, I don't see, I didn't see anything wrong with it. Um, you basically put surname to the sword at the top of the straight, um, and you know, would have won by an absolute potato field, absolutely tons left. Uh, I think anyone that anyone that thinks he, he was tired or tired fall, I think they're in the wrong game. Um, and what, what's interesting, uh, by the way, chaps, was trying to rate the race because the, the old racing purse, which I often laugh at their ratings, um, they've just decided to say that Fusel Raffles ran to its mark. I am struggle. I am struggling to say anything in that race ran to its mark. John, would you would you be in agreement with that? Yes. Um, uh, despite it winning, I'm not convinced it even got the trip. It looked legless to me going that last. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, I think all four did. All four did going to the, when when sort of surname was headed. Uh, after, obviously after. Uh, Shamblu had fallen. You could see surname had gone. That was him done, and and then the others weren't really like accelerating away from surname at that no. point. And no. yeah, not at all. Not at all. What what happens with the winner? Does the winner go up for that? Uh, the well, I say the winner, the uh, the moral winner, shall we say? It'd be interesting because you only tend to get hand. I think it will, but usually the handicappers only. Was it was it the second last or third last? I can't remember. Second, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think I think they'll 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 take this one into account. I have no doubt. Um, but it's what you actually put on it because I was certain turning for home Plondor Castle, it was one of those. Um, if this can't win, um, you know, don't don't beat this horse up. You know, you could see that from the jockey. He was never getting after that horse. Like once, once uh, Shamblu burst clear, it was like, well, that's that. Um, and so I'm not sure that that's even got anywhere near its mark. And that got beat 15 lengths. I mean, I, 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 it's very difficult to rate. Like you said, John, I, I, I don't think uh, the winner stayed truly. It just the fact it was it was probably the fittest horse running to its mark more than any other runner in the race. Um, so in, in the end, it turned out a disappointing renewal, but certainly the, if Shamblu had, had stood up, he would have certainly got a decent rating, a lot higher yeah. than his official mark. And um, that brings us on to um, uh, Aaron Rhodes's point, um, where he says, does Shamblu stay in a Hennessy? Not on your Nelly for me, he says. Um, I mean, I, I, if he was mine, John, uh, and Chris, w- I would be thinking uh, King George. No, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be entertaining a Hennessy or any other. Any other. I mean, I don't know if they'll they'll find another prep before a King George or just go straight there. But that that would be on my radar, John. I'd, I'd be wanting a sharper three mile than yesterday if I could find one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Kempton's ideal, as long as he gets in a rhythm. But obviously, it's another different kettle of fish. You're taking on, 
fitter animals by that point. Um, you take on the as well, you know. Yeah, like Frodo and one will be up there, and you know, you, you you're basically taking on a different level of animal to what you faced yesterday. So, I don't really think his prospects in in a King George would necessarily be great. But if that's what if I owned him, that's where he he'd, he'd be going next. I think. Um, yeah. On that one, uh, Aaron goes on to say, uh, surname, time to stop with this horse. Um, about as reliable as a Paddy Mullins quote. <laughs> well, he's getting, he's getting pretty reliable. He's pulled up the last race. Yeah. How reliable is <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, he's still Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking surname now is looking, obviously, they said he, he made a noise yesterday. Um, yeah, it's better, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, the thing is, if you look at surname's um form throughout his career, you get some horses that just become automatic machines, as in on the fourth or fifth start, they run into ridiculously high ratings. It wasn't like that with surname, he, he progressed through the handicap up to a top notcher, and I just wonder if he's like he's hit his peak and then and that's it. And it's now hard work, it's now really hard work to keep maintaining this uh, this level of peak. Um, so yeah, I think I think surname's finished. Um, I'm afraid uh, that's just how it goes. Uh, he says, Envoy, Envoy Allen, uh, can he rattle the two milers? Um, or should or should he stick to intermediate intermediate trips, John? I think if you go around Cheltenham at Tell Mile with him, I think you'll deck him. I don't think yeah. enough. Yeah, no, I'm in your camp. I would I would go I would be back up in trip for a for a championship race with Envoy Allen for for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, it could be a fascinating King George if uh, all connections allow, you know, that their horses to go there. I mean, that's the thing. I always think the King George, you know, should be a, a, a mid-season centrepiece. And I, I feel sometimes it's not been the case in recent seasons, um, you know, and I'd like to see, you know, the, the top Irish trainers turn up there, but... Obviously, they've got the Dublin Festival now, and that, they tend to use that as the as the preps for Cheltenham. Um, and he finally, Aaron Aaron says about Weatherby yesterday: six pounds forty a pint, John, or five pounds forty a tinny from a pop up tent. Chris, this is this is this is Ascot prices, is it not? Cheap, that is. You're moaning about down here about forty quid a pint. <laughs> I was about five beer. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Stop moaning. Everyone fancy sherry for that. I know. So, I mean, it's the, I, I've not, I up north. I've not known it as um, as high as that for say a well, national hunt meeting anyway. I might be at York, etc. But um, I'm not. I've not known it as high as that for. Uh, uh, I mean, they've certainly been cashing in there. Um, I think the titties would be a, the titties would be a Moretti's though, so it's quite quite you know it weren't too bad you know it weren't the old uh, you know Castle Main Forex you know from <laughs> um, anyway right um, another interesting question uh, on on the racing um, uh, was from Rory Swandle um, and he he asked me to look back at Pink in the Park. Um, he watched this so many times. Um, he's jumped on for the Cheltenham bumper, um, and it's in the betting for the for the mayor's novice as well. Um, he's asked us what we think of her. Um, 
I, I, I think she's an absolute machine in the closing stages. I, I watched her, I thought, geez, you can't, you can quicken up. I've got one uh, sort of concern though, and, and if any sort of horsey people out there listening to this can give me a, a pointer because I'm I'm no expert on things like this, but the the near four seemed to come out quite markedly when 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 she was quickening. Now is that is that a concern? I always thought that four wheels should should roll in motion, you know, with, with good horses and. That 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 near four coming out like that was kind of a bit ungainly to say. Uh, you know, is that a problem physically? Perhaps somebody can mark my card. John, could you mark my card on that? The one word answer to that is attraction. Yeah, probably one of the worst moving houses you'd see, and she was perfectly alright. Um, it's not ideal. I mean, that's the thing. You wouldn't if you if you were picking between two and neither of them had run. You'd pick the one that didn't do that. Yeah. But that said, you've seen her run. You've seen she can run. So, you know, she obviously copes with that. So, really, you're just going to evaluate on what you say you do on the track and what what a farm adds up to come Cheltenham. I mean, one yeah. win, very impressive. It, it, she was impressive. I, I've got to admit, physically she's all there. Just that 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 uh, near four swinging outwards, just a bit, just put me off a little bit. But as I said, I, I I don't know enough about um, if that if that's a physical issue longer term. I, I, I don't know. I've no idea. If somebody can mark my card on that. That'd be uh, tremendous. Um, also, he says about Phil Door yesterday looked mighty impressive. He did. Um, I watched him in France. He hung right in his bumper. Um, he looked a different horse yesterday for, for BFG. Um, what I would say is that the uh, second or third horse in the NC sessions uh, pulled very hard and didn't jump very well. Um, and I, I don't know what the level of form's worth, but as, as, a, as an engine, certainly you'll say field door is, is something to look forward to, but you need to see more, I think. Um uh, anything else to add on on on, on Rory's uh, purse, you guys? Nope. Yeah. Nope. Uh, covered everything with that, really. Yeah. So we'll go on to John, the analyst, um, and he said he said a rant for Sunday. Um, he said it's been a long and busy Saturday, and he's been watching coverage of worldwide racing and dogs for most of the day, like Paul Merson. <laughs> yeah, Merson and Shilton betting away. Yeah, well, the, the missus have gone, gone shopping, and Merson, Merson and Shilton are sat there having a good old yeah. shifting. Um, anyway, so he says he said there's been he, he's been counting. Obviously, he says there's been five notable delays um, in UK horses or dogs, basically due to dogs running off tracks, etc., etc. He says three long de- delays for racing, including the Wolver Maiden, when a horse race of twenty eight. Uh, is having its eighth run and won't go in the stalls. The whole system is amateurish, and and one can only imagine it gives for the greater worldwide punting fraternity. Why do these incidents not happen, or at least happen a lot less regularly elsewhere? Um, thoughts on this? I mean, I mean, is it is it just British racing is just amateurish anyway, and this is this is where we're at, and we just continually. It, I mean, if you carry on doing the same methods, you carry on getting the same results, right? I mean, yeah. It does make you wonder what the BHA are actually doing. <laughs> so, well, you know, because, I mean, everything we seem to talk to talk about, the BHA just absolutely inert on it, aren't they? You know, I yeah. mean, 
there's, there's no suggestion that they're going to look at addressing this problem in any way, shape or form. You know, I mean, outriders have been mooted. I mean, I don't know what that will do for the dog situation that the, that the analyst mentioned. You know, I mean, unless you had strategically placed Staffordshire Bull Terriers ready to jump out and pounce on any dogs going the wrong way around, I think. <laughs> Might make it a bit more spectacular and whatever you but uh, as regards the horses, I mean, it, it, it has gone on a long term where you see these serial offenders, you know, I mean, horses that you know are iffy at the stalls, you, you know, I mean, not just the ones that was wearing them daft blankets, that, but the, the, you know, there are ones. There was one before that Tomaler in Ireland today, I think it was. Uh, about third or fourth favourite, and when they said they were doing away with the stalls, there was a bit of a rush for it because it, it, it's known to give trouble at the stalls. Well, they need to start fanning these trainers when the delay starts. It, yes. You know, it's all right putting stalls tests on for horses when they refuse to go in and things like that. What they need to be doing is putting, you know, I mean, they've got the means to mark these horses on performance at the starting gate. So I don't, and you know, you, you get an X against your name for, for one problem. You you go to the races next time, you, you play up again. The trainer hasn't addressed it. Fine him. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with the fine. I, I, I would find the tracks because if you find the tracks, um, they'd actually have someone uh, leaving the gin and tonic on the side, coming out into the parade ring and rushing in and saying, come on, come on, let's have you to the start, you know, like this now. Um, you know, oh, no messing around. Yeah, i the tracks. Yeah. Yeah, and if you if you start with that, the tracks then are then are then forcing, uh, and it's coming from the top. It's going to the stall handlers. It's telling the stall handlers, right? You you must start loading the first horse uh, at least two. If it's a big field, at least two minutes before post time, at least. Uh, that's the that's the absolute minimum cutoff point. Um, and and I think that's where we need to start to improve the sport for everyone. Um, Chris, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it does seem to be a, a wholesale lack of cooperation and a general malaise. And I think we talked about this before, that the, the kind of the punter and, and, and the, the need to get races off at, on time just seems to escape those in, in, in authority. It's almost, you know, they'll start when they start. And, and it just does not smack to me of, you know, first tier sport it's almost well kind of a little very amateurish um because there's no coordination i'm sure these groups don't talk to each other because if they did as you say lee there'd be you know you've got to get these horses loaded at least two to three minutes before post time because you've got a 30 runner maiden or whatever with you know a number of uh, difficult horses that have shown trouble at the stalls before or inexperienced horses but it happens week after week and no one seems to do anything so i think we can conclude that there's no coordination. Yeah, yet again. Um, the uh, I think, like you said, leadership starts at the top and then filters downwards. I think that's how every successful organisation is is run. And um, yet again, I mean, people say, well, you know, how do you blame the BHA? It's not, it's the tr- but if the BHA giving directives to the tracks and say this isn't acceptable, what's the point in coming up with race times, 248, 303, 317, when it's, it makes not one blind bit of difference anyway. They, they'll just, especially jockey club race courses, they'll just overrun. And maybe you could possibly even do a, a yearly league table and find them even more 
if you know like the ones at the bottom that if, if they're over a certain time you know like like on average um and i think that's that's then you get the tracks into gear and 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 it's and it stops being all lapsadaisical yeah. yes um yep good 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 point good rant john the analyst with, with you on that one um we'll move on just to another subject which kind of shocked me um john hines posted it on twitter earlier this week and i didn't realize that Delmar, the Breeders' Cup next week. We've got a tremendous show lined up next week. We've got Quentin Franks, myself, John, and uh, Nick Davis to give you the best Breeders' Cup bets, and we're all working hard on that one. Uh, but I was shocked to see that Delmar have introducing the whips in the underhand position uh, for next week's Breeders' Cup meet, which means you cannot imagine Thrasher Morris, guys. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, he can't spell, well, you know. He's, I don't think we'll get to the point where Thrasher Morris has a ride in the Breeders' Cup, will we? No. Uh, yeah, no, no, probably not. Unless, unless they're bringing him out to 60 handicap and Prescott sends one there on a hat trick. <laughs> but, I mean, what's this? I mean, I've, I've been trying to work this out. You know, I mean, it's, you know, underhand position. What, so that, that means, underhand think, means... I think that's what we call the backhand position. Right. Yeah. Where the 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 whip handle is pointing down over you. How you would normally sit, and you can't get the whip into the what they call the forehand position, where you can proper get a right good whack into them. You know. So in essence, you're flicking rather than. Yeah, it's a it's a backhand rather than a whack. Yeah. But what I, what I don't tell you is that in America you're allowed to put a fucking syringe in the crop bit at the end. So every time it gives it a tap, it gives it another little boost. So I think, <laughs> I think that's probably uh, the way forward for them. To be well, honest, I don't think I've seen very much of American jockeys use the whip in the backhand position. I'd be very interested to see how they cope with that. I think our lads would be a lot more adept at it than they will. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, there's a few tracks in America that's gone whipless. Um, yeah. Monmouth, I think, and um, I'm not sure on the others, but I've read it. Um, and I, I, look, is this? I mean, John Hines, who's an avid listener and a, and a good guy all around, but he's he's, a, he's yeah. an avid ban ban the whip. I don't agree um, because surely you're making the old fashioned, pure old lazy old bugger um, like redundant. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, I, the, would, I'd like to see Persian Punch have done what he's done, you know, with, with with no with no persuader. You know, I mean, I mean, you've got you've got lazy horses that are just lazy by nature. It's like anyone. You, some people turn up for work late. Some people turn up for work on time. It's just how it is. You know, you you it's it's characters. And I think if they're anything serious in the current. Um, you know uh, the the whips that have been modified in recent years. Um, you know you'd have horses coming back marked. Uh, you'd you'd have them. You know, and that's not the case anymore. You know, when I've been when, when I've been racing, I have not seen any marks on horses. Um, and I, and I just think, like most trainers I've spoke to, say that there's no they'll feel it, but they'll not. It doesn't. You know. It's, it's just like basically a jockey sending the horse a signal, telling them to come on. The time is now, um, rather than uh, we are beating you up and um, giving you a good old thrashing, like in the old uh, the old whip days, which was you know I, I saw some horrendous sights in the eighties. 
Um, you know, horses coming in with with flesh wounds on on the. Boots on the, the, Madden, the, the, remember him? Yeah, boot, yeah. yeah. Boots, boots yeah. Madden, like, oh, yeah. Oh, not many. Tommy, yeah. Tommy Ryan, give one a right. Was it Mount Rivers at Cheltenham? And Tommy Ryan absolutely played the living piss out of it. Um, and Ted Ted Walsh looked terrible on daring running a champion hurdle. That that was whipping far hand position down the shoulder all the way up the running end. That mm-hmm. looked awful. It looked as though he was slicing bacon. Oh, you know, um, and I mean, you'd lose count of the thrashings that Leicester dished out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, but when when you look back, I mean, the minstrel was a chaos for the the whole setup of Colmar. But but for that, and him responding to two serious hammerings that he got at Ascot and Epsom, we might not have Colmar now. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I mean, they they'd invested heavily seventy five and seventy six. They had nothing in 78, so that'd have been it for them if the minstrel hadn't come through. Because they got lucky in October with alleged. You know, I mean, he wasn't looking like making a stallion after he'd been beating the ledger. So it'd have been touch and go. That syndication of the minstrel was vital to them. Yeah. Good stuff, John. Good, you know, good, good historical analysis there. Um, what, what do you guys feel on Bob Baffert? Being allowed to run his runners under intense drug testing, and um, what's what's both of your thoughts on that? Well, unless we're boating them for misdemeanors, I don't think we can say a lot about it. You know, I mean, that's that's the problem, isn't it? You know, I mean, we we're not putting our trainers off for any length of time if if they have a drug offence. You know, especially if it's a <laughs> lad with a casual drug habit or something like that that's farting as he's walked past the box. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, what what can we say to people? You know, we can't say our sports as pure as a driven snow and we're doing stupid bloody things like that. Yeah. So we can't complain about it, even though it, it leaves a sour taste, you know. Superb, John. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I totally agree. We, we, you know, we, we often throw stones at, you know, the Irish and everything, but as we know, you know, I mean... Like you say, good old Towser. Um, you know, he 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 come up with a, with any. I mean, that was that was an excuse from the excuses of excuses, John Playbook, weren't it? Oh, come on, <laughs> as John says, come on. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so what do you what do you think, listeners, on Bob Baffert being allowed to to run his runners, um, etc.? There's a lot of sort of big protesting over there about that. They don't like that. Um, they'll probably not like it even more if you have six winners. I think yeah, so, yeah. I like his hair and his sunglasses, so he gets a pass from me. I think he looks like an American trader should do. So Bob's all right. <laughs> I keep thinking he's Dwayne Lucas anyway. <laughs> Dwayne Lucas. Yeah, yeah. Dwayne. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne, and Tom Deck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, you've got all that to look forward to next week on our fantastic cup show, which I believe Catherine is also going to chair for us as well, just to add that touch of class um, to next weekend's um, shenanigans. 
Um, that's it. Obviously, it's your sort of thing, Breeders' Cup, etc. Not everyone's cup of tea, we admit. Anyway, move on to. Handicap as well, Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, it's the final day of the flat. How rude of me, really. You know, it's, 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 the, it's the final day of the flat season, the, the good old November handicap. Um, it's where me and John, it's, you know, it's like, it's like going to a funeral. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, you know it, we're going to put a thing on bastards saying the road to Doncaster. <laughs> All winter, never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two hundred preview nights between now and the yeah. But the Bastards Road to Doncaster. Me and John will start to do some articles on that. Um, Anyway, we'll move on. Um, Windows next subject. Um, John Hines again. Um, Loves a question. Just John Hines can talk until. Just talk a glass of ice to sleep. Anyway, windops. We are all, we're all big boys and girls, and is it not time to differentiate between the types of windop? There's a huge difference between a serious wind problem and a simple procedure. Um, also, are the BHA really checking anything anyway? Um, I mean, all, all I can say, like medically, is that um, there are different types of windop. There's the, there's the real bad one. Which very expensive. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I know that. I know that from horses that I've had done. It yeah, is ridiculous. Um, over two grand for that one. Um, and then there's just the like minor alteration ones, which you know, just a few hundred quid. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, guys, any thoughts? Should 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 there be more um, like transparency on on the type of wind ups, etc. Hmm. It's a good point, isn't it? I suppose more information is good for the punter, but I, I wonder how, um, what's the word, a cooperative certain trainers would be. Um, and, and I think it goes to the second point. I mean, I don't know what they do to check out, to check these things out. I mean, what, what checking regime there is, no, no idea. Because I, I do wonder where you see some horses throw an extra leg and then you do wonder whether they've had a little bit of surgery that hasn't been declared. But I don't know, actually, how they check those things out. Well, let's put it this way. If I owned one that I never intended to sell, um, I, I, you don't, I mean, there's no point in declaring it because then it's never going to get vetted by another owner or, you know, to say, oh, hang on, this has had, this has had two wind ups. You've not, you know, this has never been declared. Then you're breaking the rules. Um, so if you've known, if it's your family pet and you're going to run it until it's, you know, and, and until it's 15, um, you know, it's uh, it, there's not, I don't see as much point in it really. That said, John, and I, and I thought I'd do a bit of data shuffling here, uh, for, for punters. And I looked at 35,000 recorded wind ups in this country, mm-hmm. and which is quite a sample size. There doesn't appear to be an edge to wind up, so I'm with, I'm, I'm gonna upset you here. I'm with the kilt on this one, um. I, you know, I, I'm not so sure that, that they have much, certainly long-term benefit. They might eke a quick win out. And they seem to be more effective earlier on than later on. That's why they keep after having them done. But I don't, I don't think the data is telling me that there is no edge or advantage whatsoever in windops. I think it's another thing that trainers use <laughs> to get another 18 months fees out of an owner. <laughs> His wind, his wind collapsed. His wind collapsed. Oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We'll, we'll stick him out of the field. Give him a summer holiday. Then we'll bring, you know, get his wind done. Get his wind tightened. Lovely, lovely. When we'll come back next season. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> John, John thoughts. 
I, I sometimes take it as a positive if I really fancy one and I find out it's first or second run back after having its win tweet. Yeah. yeah. Overall, long term, I don't think there's a lot of benefit in it either. So um, I think I think there's a lot of other things that should be made available to punters before detail on wind up, such as horses' weight on race Yes, yes. yes. that's yeah. a very good point. Um, um, you know, um, I think uh, I, I know for a fact that what shows horses are wearing at the races aren't scrutinised at all. Um, yeah. you know, see horses turning up in work plates. Yeah. Um, I think that's quite significant. That's one of the reasons I like to go racing because, I mean, especially low grade northern stuff. You say that very often, you know, and you know they're not busy for wearing bloody grip work shows. You know, um, it's, uh, you, you know, there's things like that. There's new handicap ratings. You have to dig like a bloody giant mole to try and find out what the new handicap ratings are until the horse gets entered. You know, I mean, why can't you just find them straight away on a children's racing post? You, you know, it's... There's, there's loads of information out there that they could make available, they chose not to. And with the gross profits tax deal in place, you don't need to wonder why they chose not to. Yeah, yeah. superb points, John. And yeah. I'd add to that as well, that for extra information that needs to be, rather than wind ops for me, I'd be more interested in tactics changes. Um, so I think that if you've, got a, if you've got a horse that's had just sort of five runs for a and it'd been in maidens, held up, held up, held up, held up, held up, and all of a sudden, um, you know, you want to know if, they, if they're going to go handier. And, I, and it's like, you don't necessarily have to say what they're going to do, because then that's just telling everybody else what... what but they're going to say, they, they're going to try and ride the horse a little bit handier. Might just sort of, like, give punters a clue to the horse's chance. And I'm not saying they have to do that at 9am. You could wait until they could, you know, as long as you say it before first, uh, before first race time. You know, like when you get the, the jockey changes and you get the non-runners in sort of like midday, one o'clock, you know. Well, also, and like in, they do it in Australia, you've got to announce uh, a tactics change. I don't know if it'd do much good because there'd still be a lot of lying. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the idea, to be honest. No. Because I think, I think, you couldn't really police it because, you know, the minute he comes in, well, you know, how this one come across me at the start? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you could be there all afternoon debating it yeah. with a little sod. Yeah. You know? So, I mean... And it's un- it, what, is, what you say, John, it's unworkable. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think I prefer the current system where, like, for example, if you're back in a, a Simcock house, you pretty much know where... You're gonna be sad, don't you? You know. Um, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? You, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. You can take that to the bank, can't you? <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know. I mean, obviously, there's not gonna be a lot left in the bank if you keep back in there. Well, but, no, not at all. <laughs> but you, you know, at least you know where you stand with Simcock. You know. Yeah. You know, if a haggis is strong in the market, he's gonna sit third or fourth. You know, um, that's how he, it works. You know, the kill's going to make the running if possible. Yeah. Will, will Simcock ruin that nice cult that won the Horace Hill job? That, um, you know, like at Newbury? Do you, do you reckon he'll... 
reckon it'll turn up something like Epsom or something. He needs to run three pacemakers in Guineas, doesn't he? I mean, I mean, it's amazing that if, like, say, you check on Simcox stats on the straight courses, you know, Doncaster, Newbury, Yarmouth, he's fantastic. It's just you get what you want from Simcock. He's he's like twenty odd percent, you know, massive. And then, he, like John says, you know, he, every <laughs> other tracks, he's useless. He's, but that's it as a punter, like John says. Maybe that's the interesting thing. Like he said, John likes the kilt at Beverly, etc., because um, he he knows what the kilt's going to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's not not many, is there? Um, it's a swear word in John's house. Um, right, yeah, um, good stuff, John. Uh, right, uh, Paul Meg has been on, and he says, "Is there any value in the anti-purse market these days? Seems like a horse wins, beating some low-rated slow coach, and the bookies slash their odds." no matter what, for any race at Cheltenham. Um, this is a bigger problem with the English horses who won't race against the superior Irish horses until Cheltenham. Would love to hear your thoughts. John, any thoughts on that? On that? Yeah, he's probably right that it is ourselves because as soon as anything wins a maiden, a recognised trial or anything like that, you've got gobshating prize ourselves like Stephen R. Power hyping them to the gunnels and taking whatever price he's on offer. I mean, look at that Ferrago with Snowfall in the arc. Yeah. Just, just as an example. Yeah, yeah. you know. There, there's no pertinent analysis of these prices. Um, the racing media just trot them out. Yeah. Um, oh, this is in the quarter 14 to 1 for next year's guineas. Now, why aren't they standing there and saying, some blithering idiot has just quoted 14 to 1 for next year's guineas. Are they having a laugh? No, they don't say that. They put the serious face on and they actually give it some credence. And that's what's blowing a hole in the whole kit and caboodle, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what I would say to Paul is uh, the, the best time to bet on, at Cheltenham is the, when when they all start going the non-runner no bet, which which at the turn of the year, so they get they seem to be getting earlier. It's a bit like you know, it's Black Friday and everything else. You know, we've got four Black Fridays it seems in 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 November, and I think the key is when the bookmakers start going non-runner no bet. It's fantastic. You just just put your money on it. Don't matter. You know, if you think that horse is all right at that price, you know, what have you got to lose? Because yeah. if the race cuts up, which invariably it does, because obviously there's that many races now at Cheltenham, and the on about going to a fifth day soon, um, you 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 going to end up with smaller fields because everything's you know like dissected, and many a time you'll back things at six to one that go off at five to four. Yeah, they're not doing anything. Because the race cuts up, and and you know, like the the big mares don't clash. One will go for the champion, one doesn't. Then then one goes for the two and a half miler, the other one doesn't, and so on and so on. It's it's just it's a joke. So I would recommend to you, Paul, don't do any business until as soon as the bookmakers go number and no bet, start ploughing in because you can't lose. You cannot lose because as long as you know what you're doing and you, you're on the right horses, you you you're on a, you're on a, you're going to end up with some amazing value in some races when they cut up. So that's what I thought on that. Um, right, we'll get on to um, Brian again. I think obviously Catherine had that. We can never beat Catherine Grant. Not going to not going to attempt to. But obviously yesterday there was part of me. Um, I had no financial interest, but I was more than delighted to see Frodon do that yesterday. 
Um, I think that was, it. and as well, the, not just for Brownie, I thought the guts of the horse was tremendous. Um, it, it was traveling the least well, um, you know, coming down the hill, and and he, and he absolutely just found and found and found. Kind of, kind of, I'm an old school, it's like I like to watch chasers that do that and keep finding them and battling. Um, and 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 this did it in spades, and it was it was quite an emotional performance, but. The aftermath for me, the same as the Racing Post headline today, Brian didn't get for front page headlines. It was about O'Sheen, and I thought that was odd. You know, to have O'Sheen as your headline when the, the, the best race over jumps on on Saturday was the Jameson, and it was just like a little strap at the bottom. Paul Nichols said nothing on Brian after the race. Megan Nichols, John highlighted to me the other day, uh, well, he said it on Twitter, did John? Uh, he went on about. Uh, you know, Megan not really sticking up for her at all um, in any shape or form. John, your 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 take your take on this whole sordid affair after the after the fraud on we? I think it's just horrible. You know, and it's, um, there's there's nobody in the lass's corner to me. I mean, uh, save for Catherine Frame, possibly Grand Cunningham. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, I could, I could get uh, well. Megan Nichols has a fledgling TV career. Yeah. Um, I can see why she said she feels privileged to be part of the Wayne Room culture and whatever. Yeah. But that doesn't excuse it. Um, you know, you'd, you'd have thought even in the name of solidarity. You, you know, I mean. Ryanie's attached to her father's yard. Um, you'd want, you'd hope to think that she would want to have a fair crack of the whip. Put it this way: nobody is going to stand bollock naked arguing the toss with Megan Nichols in the way now. No, because her dad would probably lift them. Yeah, yeah. Um, um. and that. That's probably the the crux of it, really. You know, I mean, it's it's just a, there's a lack of respect being shown to Brownie Frost in the first instance. Lack of respect to her as a as a human being and a woman yeah. by doing that. There's a lack of respect by nobody standing up and saying to stop a done. What the fuck are you doing, son? Get some clothes on and fuck up. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean yeah. Ellen Sheridan has messaged in, John, and, and she, she agrees with you. She says, is there anyone of principle in the jumps weighing room? If we were to compile a book on the first one to break, break ranks, what would it look like? You know, it, we've had Paul Anagan saying he was bullied when he was younger, so what? We've had we've had other other jumps jockeys. Tom Cannon, I think, come out on Twitter, wasn't very complimentary towards her. I'd like to know why they're not. If you're going to have a bulk on it, I'd, I'd take five to four one of the valleys. Mm. Because yeah, you wouldn't yeah. get out from the rest of them. It's the old close shop mentality again. Mm. And it, it's sickening. It's a sickening culture. Well, well, we've been sold this sort of inner sanctum, this brotherhood of sort of swashbuckling daredevils. And that, you know, and that kind of idea doesn't encourage external scrutiny does it it's sort of it's kind of operated on a self-policing model for a long time you know we, we get the sense 
uh, that sort of senior jockeys are there to police the behaviour in there. But we've actually got no visibility on it. And it's almost been as if it's been left to sort of get on with it. Uh, and and I think, you know, whatever the rights and wrongs of the Bryony Frost and Robbie Dunn affair, and obviously we've got to be conscious that due process must take place, but it certainly revealed it to be a, quite an unsavoury place. And, you know, every other workplace in the UK is subject to, you know, policies and, uh, and, and sort of censure against individuals who break those policies. And it just strikes me that the Wayne Room seems to be stuck in the 1950s. You know, uh, you know that we're operating in a modern world. You know, what, why should they be exempt? So I, I think it's been a bit of an eye opener, really. I think it means asking as well, what the hell are the BHA officials doing in there? You know, well, yeah. I mean, something like that's going on. Somebody's standing bullock naked in front of a woman. Somebody in there must be wearing a BHA badge. What are they doing? Yeah. It's like you said, not just, obviously not just standing, like, in front, like, just like he's out of the shower and he's, he's, he's driving himself down. He's literally stood right in front of her, um, you know, like, in an intimidating manner. So, so I think, I think that's, that's the thing, you know, how that is deemed acceptable by our, by our riders and why no one's coming out. That, this is what I don't understand. It's a, it's a blanket sort of like notion from the jockeys. And, and, and what's, and I don't know what's the bigger disgrace. No one's supporting them, supporting them from within, within the right way room or the BHA themselves that have took 13 months to still not come up with a, a conclusion to all that. I, I, I tell you what, mate, if if somebody doesn't stand up and say something soon and that last doesn't get some support, she'll be jacking this game in, in, inside of two years. I think that's highly likely. And obviously, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm no interested in, in Brownie's private life. But if, she, if she's seen sort of Patrick Mullins over there, mm. who knows? She might just bugger off to Ireland yeah. and, 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 go, and go ride in Ireland. Punting, hey, go professional punting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you'd have to. I'm going to say that's that's to be an interesting game for anyone these days. Yeah. I tell you to to make it pay professional punting yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an industry on its ass. Um, I mean, it's odd, it's yeah. odd isn't it? I mean, I, look, you know, uh, pe- people, I suppose, where they've got positions to protect, you know, in any industry, you know, you, you don't get many people coming forward, you know, when they see um, sort of, you know, uh, people being bullied in a particular manner. But but somebody allegedly standing naked in, in front of somebody arguing, and that person is, is someone of the opposite sex. What kind of people don't think that you know what kind of people think that's acceptable or at least not bad enough to report to anybody that that's the mm. fundamental it's a human thing for me what kind of people think it's okay if it's true for a man to stand naked and berate a a, a female colleague it's well, as, as Catherine said you know as Catherine herself said you know in any any other uh, employment or industry any, any other Anything, yeah that rubber done would have been um, out. That's yeah. it, out. You're finished. Yeah, you know, you've and shown your cards. It wouldn't be sort of have a quick meeting with HR to try and moderate your no. behaviour. No. You'd be sacked. That's yeah. it. I mean, I mean, this, like, like, like you said, Chris, it, it, this isn't the 50s or, the, or the, not even the 1980s. This is, this is 2021, and times have changed, but obviously not in racing. I think um, another question that needs to be asked as well is what kind of culture gives him the confidence to totally. do it in yeah. the first place? Yeah. Yeah. 
none of us would think that is remotely acceptable anywhere now for him to think he can get away with that because obviously he hasn't thought there's going to be any problem doing it because he's done it yeah so what the hell has prevailed in that way and round before this well it's this whole bullshit band of brothers you know hard living hard drinking you know, daredevils, and they risk their lives every day, so you lucky punters can have a bet. Well, my argument is that is, you know, if you know, it's a job. Uh, for many of them, it's an extremely well-remunerated job. And if you don't like it, then fucking do something else. No one's asking you to be a jump jockey. So, yeah, I've got respect for what they do, but, but you know, they're not high on the pecking order of people I admire in life, you know. They do a yeah. job. That's it. Mm, right, it's a topic that keeps rumbling on, but uh, we, we've had our say on that, um, ourselves and Catherine on, on Friday. Um, Tell you uh, what, John... he's lucky he didn't do it to black mark, I should have pulled it off and chucked it out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd want to take Blackmore on. Um, yeah, she looks she looks one that would have your, you know, if you if you come in late from the pub, John, that'd be it. Your balls would yeah, be on a spot. Rolling pin, like um, handicap, yeah. <laughs> Flow, that was his No chance, yeah. Um, so, and just to follow that up, John Irons has, has sort of mentioned about women in racing, etc. And basically, um, he, he's gone on to say about the ineptitude in the press. And no senior females seem to be working at the racing post. Um, seems very strange in this day and age that, you know, the lack of female journalists. And I think I, I had a look into this and, and the Derby Awards, um, which is obviously for horse writers and horse and journalists and presenters, um, 18 of the 21 nominees are male in, in different categories. 18 of 21. And obviously, you know who one of them is. Lydia Hislops. You take, I mean, Lydia's a gimme on any awards list anyway. Um, but then, so outside of Lydia, there's there's two, um, which is that Jess Stafford off, off Racing TV and, and Maddie Playle off uh, from the Racing Plus. And, and I find that very, very odd that we've got a balance. I mean, given the population rates in the UK, there's no way we should be balanced like that. There's, there's a lot of probably good women journalists out there. That, that, that are under and obviously our very own Catherine Fry I mean I, I, I cannot believe someone of a, a, a broadcasting experience you know gets bit part roles here and there and you know I, I just I, I genuinely believe that some some women are hard done to in this sport and the Brownie Frost thing says that and then yeah. and the evidence there with the 18 of the 21 nominees are male well, look at the, if, if you think the culture of the wine room's bad, I, I, I'll venture to say that the culture of the press room is even worse. If you look at some of the candidates or, or some of the former journalists of the past, you think, "Fucking now," you know. I mean, it, I, I think a lot of men would 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 be wary of venturing into there, given some of the attitudes that some of those guys used to hold. So yeah. it's not not very welcoming to to people from different backgrounds. I would suggest not just not just women, but people from other social classes as well. Yeah. Claude, Claude Javal, John, he loved, uh, he loved a good Buffy, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He loved a Buffy and a glass of mago. <laughs> Charles Benson, who never paid for anything. You know, he was a professional ligger, wasn't he? Yeah, he went his skin, that's why. Yeah. yeah, professional bluffer. Yeah. So, so you know, uh, they're, they're probably two of the worst examples, but it isn't something that I, I think would be attractive to, to, you know, people from different backgrounds. 
No. Um, so yeah. So I, I agree, John. I think I think there is a problem in rating, and it's not just uh, cultural, obviously, from um, um, black and ethnic minority sort of background. Um, I understand that, though, in a way, because that's in a way it's, it's the way racing's set up. It's really difficult to to get um, like because I mean you, you could argue that there's like underprivileged, uh, you know. Like uh, white kids, you see, that's just how it is. It's, but racing's an elite sport that costs a lot of money to get involved in, and, yeah. and, I, and I think you know when when you're talking about they should be like you know black racehorse trainers, of course they should. But yeah. how do you how do you go about that? Yeah, you know that that's the, that's the question they've they've got to sort out. But but same, and he highlights it there anyway on the women front. That's just it's just that there's no way there should be three nominees. Mm. Out of twenty one for those Derby awards, well, it won't be much fun at that dinner. It'd be full of It'd be full of full of men. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't like, the old, don't like the old office parties. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's enough of my sexism. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll finish off on a non-controversial question. And, and I nearly forgot you, Rob Jackson. But um, um, he goes, hi, guys. What are your opinions on Fergal O'Brien and his chance of landing um, some grade one horses? Um I feel he's the best trainer with the horses he has at his disposable. Uh, sorry, his disposal and the results he's been getting. What do you feel, Rob? My take on Phil O'Brien. I think he's a a lovely man. Anyone yeah. can see that. Kian, the assistant trainer. I love following that Twitter account. Right, it's my favourite Twitter uh, racing account to watch because it it brightens my day. Most days, if I'm feeling blue or a little bit, you know, whatever, hungover. <laughs> You, you read Fergal or Brian's Twitter feed, you see the cake, you see Keon's interviews and things like that, and I just think, what a lovely operation to be involved in. And if I was sort of around there, I'd love a horse there. Um, obviously, it wouldn't be grade one, what I can spend, but I, I genuinely believe if he does get the ammo, he will do the business. So if I could give one advice to him, I'd become a little bit more shrewder. I genuinely believe Fergal tries with nearly everything. Um, and the problem with that, with the handicap system, as you know, you, you know, you can't get horses well enough in to, to run up sequences, etc., etc. I don't think he plays the handicap system as well as he could. Um, you know, you need you need horses that are 130 to be rated 110 to start with, or even less, um, and and work your way up and get them progressing. And I think he'd get noticed more that way if he did that. Might get some JP McManus horses, etc. If he if he did. Uh, if he operated like that. And I, th I think that's where he, let, he lets himself down. And I don't think that's a fault of him personally. I just think that that's, it's not playing advantage to the way the game's set up. John, yeah, your I, thoughts on... Sorry, sorry Chris. Yeah, go on. Sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, just jump across. I, I agree with all of that. I think he does come across, I mean, I don't know him, but he does come across as a genuine, genuinely nice man. Yes. Uh, he, yes. he seems to, to, to bake a mean cake. So if he's listening, I'd quite like a Victoria sponge sent through, please, uh, <laughs> along with the name of his best unraced bumper prospect as well. So I think <laughs> we'd like that to you... but, but But I think you're right. I mean, I don't know his business plan, but I, but I think he's sort of powered up with Graham McPherson QC now. So he, he's got, you know, 650 quid an hour legal advice on tap. So that's a good <laughs> thing. Um, that's, that's no bad thing. But I, I think, I don't know his business plan, but, but the yard seems to be full of sort of syndicates and partnerships. And, and I do wonder whether that kind of um, profile of owner is off-putting to some of the, the, the kind of the very big owners in racing who like to feel, you know, very special and made a fuss of. And, and I think that might be difficult where you've got lots and lots of syndicates and partnerships. So, so maybe that's holding him back from you know, attracting somebody with a really a massive checkbook, but wants to have you on tap 24 hours a day. Um, 
But, but as I say, I agree. He's a nice man and a really, really good trainer. So and I hope he flourishes, really. Yeah. John, your, your final thoughts on Fergal? Well, one of the ways I tend to judge trainers is how I feel if I've had a bet and one of theirs is strong in the market against me. Like, for instance, I couldn't give a flying monkeys if Ed Dunlop's backing one of his off the birds and I've had a bet, you know? <laughs> Um, I say one of his coming in in the bet, and then I will probably even go back and have a look. And yeah. the, you know, the the default reaction is oh Christ, yeah, which suggests to me is a very very effective outfit. Mm. And the Twitter fade suggests he has a healthy disrespect for assholes, yeah, which mm-hmm. is something else I'm always going to like. He's He's rattling winners in at a good percentage. I think it's 22% this season. Yes. There's nothing not to like. Yeah, agree with that. Agree with all of that. So tag tag him in to the tweet that promotes this and see if we can get a bit of cake off him. (laughs) (laughs) I might just do that. Yeah, give give the account a friendly old tag. So we've given you a nice plug. Um, at at the end of the show thanks for the question Rob Jackson I know you're a fan of the show and it's nice to hear from you that is all Um, like I say you're lucky we don't do video podcasts because like I said we we would scare the kids and um, you know on on the Halloween you know there's enough to be dealing with Um, so that's all from us Um, I hope you enjoyed the show we are back on Friday um, at the usual time um, of around sort of 7 and that will be covering uh, Breeders' Cup and obviously the November Handicap final race of the flat season. So it should be a cracking show. Me, Franks, Davis, Leng and Fry sitting in the chair um, hosting the whole shebang. So that's all from us this weekend. Have a great week and hope you're back some winners. Bye for now. Right, the show's over, boys. Thank you very much.